But the truth is, I think you have to hone the craft until it's really good that it's sticky. I don't think there's ways to just be louder than everyone else. I think the quality has to stand up. But then, of course, you also have to market too and make sure that you're getting your message out there. But you have to have something good to market first. So a lot of people will spend too much time marketing and trying to sell it. And the problem is you're just pouring water into a bucket that has holes in the bottom and it's leaking, right? Because people aren't sticking to your show. I know a lot of podcasts that have great marketing. I don't really do marketing. I'm changing that this year. But they have a third of the audience that I have. Why? Because people subscribe, they listen for three days or a month or three and then they unsubscribe. But if you have a great show, great content, then a, a much higher percentage of people that find you will stay. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. And welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me today for this episode because today we hear from critically acclaimed podcast host who dives deep into the untapped wisdom of the world's top performers from intelligence operatives to legendary musicians, iconoclastic writers to visionary change makers. And if all this sounds familiar, it's because Jordan Harbinger joined the Storytellers Network for this conversation to round out season two of this show. I'm so stoked. His show is amazing. Uh, and, and before this show that he's on now, the Jordan Harbinger show, he's on another huge podcast. So he is definitely well-versed in storytelling and podcasting. He's a successful host, an author, a speaker, a master storyteller. Um, we, we talk in this interview, or this conversation, not even an interview. We just have a conversation. I, I love it. He was so much fun. We talk about you know, personal branding and what that means, why he calls it the Jordan Harbinger show, um, why he chose podcasting. He helps you learn a little bit about how to get stories out there. Uh, he talks about Michael Poor, a great speaker coach. Um, just a lot of great stuff in this episode. So I'm stoked to have you here today. So he's going to share his story with the Storytellers Network. And before we get into that conversation, just a quick reminder, you can find us online at thestorytellersnetwork.com for more episodes, for how to contact us, and for other resources to help you tell your story a little bit better. If you like what we're doing here, please leave us a review. It helps us meet, reach new storytellers. Now, let's get to the stories. Well, thanks for joining me today, Jordan. I uh, appreciate you making time out of your, your busy schedule and, and coming on the Storytellers Network, man. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. So uh, you're a fellow Michigander. I know that native, um, but you're not in Michigan anymore. I like to start off finding out where everybody kind of is because the whole idea is you don't have to be in a, a Mecca city to be a storyteller. You can do it from anywhere. So where are you at geographically, Jordan? I'm in San Jose, California. I do fly around a lot to do shows, but mm. it's not because I have to, it's because I want to. Oh, nice. So you've gotten to that point where you get to kind of write your ticket then, huh? Yeah, I would say so. You know, I'll, I'll, if look, if Larry King's like, yeah, let's do the show, let's do the program. I'll go to <laughs> LA and do it, you know? And if it's a friend of mine, like Cal Fussman or something like that, I'll go to them or, you know, New York City, there's a bunch of media there. I'd like to do those shows in person, but... 
I normally do the shows on Skype or Zencaster because it's just easier logistically, but mm-hmm. it's also a better relationship when you can meet someone in person. Oh, absolutely. And so your show, the Jordan Harbinger show is on podcast one. So do you go and is, are there studios in California or on the East coast? Podcast one has studios in LA and I do record okay. there a lot, although it's hard to get in that studio because everybody wants to use it. So I find myself using that studio quite often, but it's always a good standby to have a bunch of really good recording studios in pretty much every major city to which I travel that I can mm-hmm. call on speed dial for when you show up and they go, oh, shoot, we booked three people in the same time slot. <laughs> you know, you, you got to be able to call someone and go, we're coming there now and we have Shaq. <laughs> so get out of the room. You know, <laughs> we <like>. have Shaq. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, so Jordan, do you consider yourself a storyteller? When I invited you onto the show, were you like, I'm not a storyteller? Or was that like, oh, yeah, totally. I was like, I'm not a storyteller. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you, I mean, for me, I, mean, I listen to the show and, and you bring stories out of people and then you tell stories. I watched your talks at Google um, doing my research and man, you have great storytelling chops. Why don't you think you are one? Uh, you know, I just never really thought about it like that. Mm. And the Google talk, it's so funny. I remember going there and being really tired and having, I, they had called some crazy meeting right before it for like all hands or something. <laughs> and so they said, I know the room only has like 30 people in here, but there are hundreds of people streaming it right now because there was this other thing that took over the first three, like just ended right when mine started. And I was a little bit de-energized by the fact that there were so few people in the room. Mm. Uh, but a lot of people watched that talk at Google and outside of Google. And I got some comments. I'm surprised you said that. There were some comments on the YouTube video where people said, this guy's really boring. It's so monotone. Where's the charm? And I was like, it's not that bad. <laughs> I didn't think it was at all. I felt conversational. <clears throat> well, not that's like, good. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to a group of people that I could have had in my own house. So I think that's probably why it sounded <laughs> conversational. <laughs> right on. Um, I, I liked in that talk, you talked about uh, – being shy when you were growing up. Um, it seems like you've come out of that and maybe the whole podcast medium is great for people who are shy because you're not in front of people. But do you think that storytelling has played any kind of a part in helping you overcome that shyness? Sure. I mean, I think that what I'm doing now on the Jordan Harbinger show is essentially in large part storytelling. I mean, maybe I'm helping other people tell their stories by interviewing all these great folks, but it is still storytelling. It is still storytelling, and it's still a performance. Hmm. So yes, that has helped a lot. I, it, not only was I teaching networking and relationship development and social skills and things like that, so there is that angle, of course. At the end of the day, any type of interview has a story arc. So maybe I'm not using rhetorical skills per se, hmm. or at least not the same ones, not oratory skills. But uh, there's a lot that's going on that it, that has direct overlap with storytelling. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, so in podcasting, you're, that's, that's what your, your medium of, of choice is. Um, how do you think the, the, the technology of today has affected story, you know, whether it's because you, you chose podcasts or whether it's social media or whether it's, you know, you've mentioned Zencaster and that kind of thing. How does all of that kind of technology shape the craft of storytelling? Do you think? Yeah. Interesting question. So 
I think that these technologies do make things easier. For example, you've got Zoom, you can do video, so the conversation takes on another angle. We've got things like Zencaster, where I don't have to worry as much about the technical, technical elements of somebody's internet connection, for example. That makes me able to focus on other things, doing things in person and going, oh, I'm going to bring a three-camera setup that all fits in cargo pants because they're little <laughs> GoPros. These types of things help you take what used to be impossibly complicated technology. I mean, a mobile recording studio was impossible in the early days of radio. It was, there was no way you were getting reels of film moving around. And then they came up with a tape recorder and it's, oh my gosh, we can do interviews in the field. Look mm. at this tape recorder with an external microphone that has a giant handle on it. And then it became handheld recorders, which they still use. And now we have remote capability. If you were in the 90s and you wanted to interview someone remotely, well, I hope you have a satellite CNN because that's the only way you're getting that. Now I can do it from my iPhone, record it, and I've got a whole, I've got a show that looks better than Larry King Live did when it aired first. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and, and I used to I used to be in, in news at a local CBS affiliate um, in Southwest Michigan, and and so at the top forty market, not huge, but yeah, that used to be where you'd have to go to a local station to get onto TV with anybody. Now it's like they're interviewing people on Skype, on Facetime, uh, you know, Facebook Live, whatever it is. So yeah, that technology is is uh, almost democratizing in a way, I guess, huh? Yeah, democratizing is one of those overused buzzwords, but here it's completely apt. Yes, it, it does. The problem with democratizing things, though, generally, and don't read into that too much, but the problem with that is you end up with a lot of people who, gee, maybe they didn't have a voice before because they're not really trying hard and it's kind of a crappy product, right? So, yes, the, glad we democratized this. It allows a lot of people, myself included, to make a name for themselves, create a nice livelihood, do things that they love. On the other hand, there are, as of today, the official figures came out because of WWDC, there are 550,000 active podcasts in iTunes. Guess how many are really great and worth listening to? I'm not sure, but probably you and I have enough fingers and toes to <laughs> count them or at least count them by tens. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot left over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no kidding. Wow, that's that's crazy. Last I had heard was, you know, around 400,000. And I thought that was like active and ones that maybe haven't published in, you know, a year or whatever. So right. that's just right. crazy. Double-edged sword, I guess, right? I want to go back to something. Um, you, when you mentioned your, your show, is it weird for you to talk in the third person and talk about the, the Jordan Harbinger show? Um, you know, yeah, for, it's, kind of a, it's kind of weird being, it's a little bit like, oh gosh, I feel kind of like a douche saying my name. But I didn't want to name the show something else because I was doing another show, The Art of Charm, and I never liked the name. And it was sort of not really what I was talking about. And it was kind of hokey. And then when I looked for other names, it was like, oh, the you know, getting suggestions from people. It's like, live your best life show. I'm like, I don't want to look like a life coach. I don't want to look like anything other than me doing interviews. Because at this point, after 11 years, I know some people disagree because I've gotten some people like, who do you think you are? You can't name the show after yourself. You're not Larry <laughs> King. And I'm like, uh, actually, you know, in the podcast world, there's only a few personalities that are doing high quality interviews. I'd like to think that I'm one of them. And even if I'm not, maybe I'm five years ahead of the game. So effing what? <laughs> you know, okay, fine. I jumped the shark. I'm fine with that. I jumped the gun. I'm fine with that. I don't want to name the show something that is essentially marketing. I think that the quality of the guest does a lot. The quality of the interview does a lot. And awareness does a lot. And if you can't name the show after yourself, 
you know, you're kind of in trouble. Yes, people who don't know me are going to be less interested, but people who do uh, or who do are going to be super interested. And frankly, people who don't know me aren't going to go, gee, there was this show called Interviews with Interesting People, and gee, I like interviews with interesting people, so I subscribed. That is so rare that it's not really worth kind of banking on that. Mm-hmm. So, so for those who are starting off as kind of new storytellers and maybe, you know, young in the podcast world, thinking about personal brand is pretty important. It sounds like, huh? Yes, but don't jump the gun too much. Cause I do see, and I know I'm, mis- I'm overusing that stupid expression, but <laughs> the, the problem is a lot of people do this to give themselves fake gravitas where they're mm. like, Oh, I need to, name it after myself because that's what important people do so they're like it's the john jordan show and by the way i don't know if that's a real person if you're out there sorry (laughs) i'm just picking a random name and it doesn't work well because people of course they don't know who you are because you don't have a media footprint so nobody's searching for it people are legitimately searching for jordan harbinger because i've been doing hundreds thousands of shows for over about a dozen years. So that becomes problematic if you just start doing that to give yourself faux gravitas, it's not gonna work for you. Also, it is going to become a problem if you don't think about your personal brand on the other sort of the other side of the coin, it's gonna be a problem if you don't think about your personal brand because then when you, when you need to break out of it like I did from The Art of Charm, it's like, oh, The Art of Charm guy. And it's like, uh, okay, a lot of people do know who I am, but a lot of people just know the name of the show. It is easier to remember, but you you got a problem because now if you want to do something else, then you have to brand yourself as Jordan, formerly of the Art of Charm, which is what I'm doing now for search results. It's kind of a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. If I write a book in two years, I don't want to do that. So I've got to wait for that sort of, I got to steer the ship. It's like an oil tanker. It's not going super quickly, right? Because you have to rebrand. So starting early with a personal brand is important but starting only with a personal brand can be a mistake. Gotcha. Makes sense. I like the, the metaphor of steering a, uh, a, a giant ocean liner and an oil ship, this kind of a thing. Cause it is, it's, it takes a while to rebrand. So, um, all right. So after, after 12 years, uh, you know, thousands of shows, hundreds of th- or hundreds or thousands of shows, um, you know, you interview storytellers from all walks of life, Jordan, why did you choose podcasting as your medium? As a I chose, I chose podcasting as my medium because I love having conversations with people. And I know people are like, you could do that on YouTube. There's a whole different level of production that's involved with video. I'm, I'm sure that you understand that. And that's very problematic because it can stop you from doing the shows that you need to do with the people that you want because you can't get video of them or you know they have to be live in front of you and you've got to have your production crew. It's more expensive. There's all kinds of problems with that. And so it's much better if you can do something that's really simple. Podcasting, the tech is so simple. You can do it remotely. It doesn't affect the quality. And that's what I wanted to do. And a lot of marketers and things are like, oh, you need to do video. You need to do video. You don't really need to. Um, I also find that starting a YouTube presence is mostly a young man's game. It's really hard to stay relevant on YouTube. It's very problematic. Uh, to to stay relevant on YouTube. And also the audience on YouTube is lower quality. Podcast audiences by all accounts are highly educated, affluent professionals that live in cities. YouTube is everyone. That might sound great, but if you're trying to market something, it's actually better 
to have 100,000 people listening to a podcast than it is to have 2 million people playing your videos on YouTube. And the reason is because you have 100,000 focused, educated professionals or whatever demographic that you're looking for listening to your show. YouTube, you have a bunch of 14-year-old kids. That's the huge majority. You have a bunch of people that found you by accident. You have a bunch of people that played it by accident. You have people that are looking for something else. None of that happens with podcasts. Mm. So creating something, staying relevant, having a high quality audience, that's all, those are the strong points that podcasts bring to the table. Yeah, if I hear one more person tell me they want to go viral and get 2 million views on YouTube, I'm going to poke their eye out. Exactly. <laughs> I, I take issue with the young man comment, by the way. I think we're about the same age. You talk about being in college in the, the mid to late 90s. Um, we're not old yet, are we? Son of a... I don't know. I think we are. I think we are. That's all right. I'm okay with it. Um, so so out of all these interviews that you talked to people, you, you mentioned Shaq earlier, you talked to Simon Sinek, you talked to a ton of great people. How do you think storytelling can play a part in, in any profession? You know, whether it's some of these famous folks you talk about or, or well-known, um, you as an attorney, how does storytelling play a part in any profession that we're in? Does it? Or is it kind of a, too, a overused buzzword? Yeah, it, you know, a storytelling makes sense. I mean, you've got to tell a story about a brand, first of all. You've got to tell a story about who you are. You've got to tell a story about any business. If you're doing it right, Honestly, you really have to create that arc. And so there's a place for storytelling anywhere that you want to keep people interested. If we zoom out far enough, right? That's, that's what we're talking about. We're not, I'm not talking about once upon a time. I'm talking about this type of storytelling that explains something or creates a feeling through a story, not just, you know, a fairy tale or like I said, once upon a time. It doesn't work that way. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Um, and, and when you tell those stories, you know, putting your listener or your viewer or your recipient in the place of like hero in some way, oftentimes help you, kind of helps you get your way, doesn't it? If you can make them see themselves in a better light, that helps, right? Yeah, I think, I think that's of course true. I mean, anytime that you can present something in a way that makes sense to other people in a way that's intuitive, um, yeah, it's better. Yeah. It's, it's like sort of unapologetically, unabashedly better. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask you about this, Jordan, uh, as I've been listening to the show, especially with the, the, the reboot, um, but that's not a really like a Canadian reboot, reboot. reboot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about storytelling and ads. Now, you can't talk about it there about all professions and keeping people interested, but you do it well when it comes to your ads. Is that something that you just kind of came across naturally? Do you work on that? Is it just a talent? Like, how do you do that so well? The, the ad reads? Yeah. Uh, let me see. Hmm. I'm just thinking of like storytellers that are out there right now, and especially podcasters being in season two right now. Like if they end up getting a, a, a sponsor of some kind, I mean, you, it just, I always find myself listening to your ads, not trying to hit forward. Cause I'm like, yeah, this is interesting. Well, I do that deliberately, of course, because I want people to not just forward through the ads because mm-hmm. Eventually, there's going to be analytics that are reliable, not the Apple ones, but something better, most likely device-based or possibly Apple will make them even better. And they'll figure out what those ad reads are, are how often they're being skipped. There's going to be other ways to track it. And frankly, nobody wants to have to go, yeah, I like this show, but the ads are lame. So I cap my ads at a certain length. I cap, the cert- I cap them to a certain amount, uh, even though I could make a lot more money by just packing the show full of ads. And I think ads 
are boring and it's kind of like vegetables with a meal that you hate. Why not make them good without making them unhealthy, right? So when you cook something well, it tastes good. That's kind of what I want to do with the ads. And some people do this. They're like, oh, I'm going to do a whole ad feature thingamajig. It's a ton of work. I figure that everybody knows the ads are the price of admission to a show, but you can make them part of the show. So if I've got something like an ad for Smart Mouth, which is a mouthwash that I love and that's one of my sponsors, I don't have to say what they write in the copy. Bad breath is nasty, embarrassing, and a major problem in both the boardroom and the bedroom. Most people still don't know the true cause of bad breath. Instead, they rely on ineffective low-tech methods like gum or mints to mask the odor. I can say, this episode is also sponsored by Smart Mouth. Bad breath, it's freaking disgusting. I don't like when I have it. I sure as heck don't like when you have it. So what better gift than to give the gift of fresh breath, either to myself or to somebody else? Smart mouth. If you said that, if you were from Boston, you'd say like smart mouth probably. This is <laughs> what's causing bad breath is sulfur compounds. It's called sulfur gas. Basically bacteria in your mouth, they eat this protein that's on your teeth and then they produce these foul smelling gases. So basically your bad breath, that's bacteria farts, right? That's, that's like a, an ad-libbed ad read. But what it says is, when you smell bad breath, you're smelling volatile sulfur compounds called sulfur gas. Germs consume protein and produce these foul-smelling gases as a form of waste. Not interesting, right? right. So the sponsor, <laughs> sometimes when, when they hear the first read that I do, they'll be like, uh, can you reel him in a bit? We sent him copy, and I'll get a note from the ad agency, and I'll just be like, no. And then I'll do the read again and again, and sometimes they're unhappy, and I go, tell them to come back to me in 30 days and let me know how they're performing. And then the ads come back, the, the analytics come back and they go, just do whatever you want to do. We're not even <laughs> sending you copy anymore. Just do whatever you want to do. And I'm like, good, thank you. Because I know what the audience wants to hear and it depends on my mood and it's got to fit. I'm not going to stop what I'm doing and make a boring thing in the show because it not only bores the audience, nobody wants to buy something if they're bored by the ad. Right. So it increases conversion and it keeps the audience engaged in the show and in the ad. So it's good for everyone. There's no reason not to do it. So yeah, I, I worked on that. I do whatever I want to do in the moment and I try not to shift gears into, okay, got to be boring for ad mode. As much as a lot of ad agencies really desperately want you to do what the client wants, I know in the end what the client wants is to make money and sell products. So yeah, that's what exactly. I'm doing. Yeah. So, so it sounds like you research the products just like you research your guests. You put work into it. You don't just kind of rip and read. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I, I will look at the product. And if I don't totally understand the product, it might actually not be a good fit. But if it's something like a Microsoft business product, I'll just look up some people online and I'll be like, Here, you know, I'll look up complaints about it or I'll look up good reviews and I'll be like, look at this guy. He doesn't like the fact that it, you know, da, da, da. And I'm like, come on people, nothing's going to be perfect. But the way that this works, it does something even better. And I'll turn that into it and they'll freak out because they're like, don't bring up a disadvantage. And I'm like, <laughs> This is a dumb guy on the internet who looks like a moron for not liking this particular thing. It's funny because if somebody doesn't like your thing, but they're clearly an idiot, it means that smart people do like your thing. And they're kind of like, oh gosh, I didn't realize. <laughs> so it really has to fit the, the theme of the show, which is critical thinking, things like that. So I think that what I do, it, it, it makes sense. But yeah, yeah. It, usually the sponsor's not super thrilled in the beginning and then wants to renew at the end. That's funny. Uh, good, good advice for uh, up and coming storytellers. Do your research. Um, yes. So 
in, in a lot of what you do, whether it's the talk at Google, whether it's the Jordan Harbinger show, um, the writings you have, everything else, you talk about relationships, relationship building, uh, even though you don't like the word networking, um, using kind of that charm, that, that natural uh, ability to connect with people, the, the, the who you know world, right? Do you think that being a better you know, networker and giving, always be giving, comes down also to some storytelling or like, like how can we be better networkers through storytelling? Do you think, is that possible? Yeah, I, I'm, I don't exactly have an example top of mind, but I will say that yes, you become more memorable if you can tell a story in a social environment. Yes, you become more memorable if your story makes sense, has a good arc, is memorable in some way. Mm. Um, and it doesn't mean like once upon a time I did this, but if you have an arc to what you're doing, what you're presenting, if you're giving a talk and you can create good story arc, good storytelling skills come into play on this, it's really going to be a super memorable presentation. And so I end my keynotes with a story. I try to weave miniature stories into pieces in an hour long keynote or talk because otherwise it's a freaking presentation. Nobody likes that. But if you're just telling stories, people go, how was I supposed to learn from that again? <laughs> so it definitely helps. It, you're, you're not able to be effective without it. Um, so you, you're giving great advice. You've had some successes, but I want to hear the other side of that, Jordan. When has a story uh, fallen flat for you? Have, you? have you had one that was just like a total bomb? You're like, oh, son of a, that was terrible. A story falling flat for me personally? Yeah, I'm sure it happens all the time. I've probably blocked it out of my mind, but <laughs> let me think. I, I mean, yeah, look, I do a podcast, so I make a lot of mistakes, especially earlier episodes of the show. I, I, luckily, I have a producer, and I can go, hey, edit that out. That was really lame. <laughs> so I have that, that ability to do that. But I have, I'm trying to think of an example. I've definitely been in front of crowds, um, even at Google, where I gave that talk and I told a couple stories and nobody in the room laughed. And I thought, Oh my gosh, luckily it went on YouTube and people were like, what's going on? That was hilarious. This audience is dead, you know, and got a lot of emails about it. And I thought, okay, good. It wasn't just me that day, but <laughs> you know, that kind of thing in the moment, you have to be careful when you're speaking or talking because that type of, I don't know. And the crowd goes mild kind of feedback can really kill the energy in the room. So you almost have to make sure that you know, you've done this so many times that you have your stories unlock so that when they don't hit, you realize it's the audience. It's like a comedian, you know, they're doing really well and the room is killing it or they're killing the room and they've done it 99 times and they've killed it. And then the hundredth time the room doesn't react. They, in the moment they don't go, Oh, I'm bombing they just go, this isn't working for this room and they shift gears. They don't think I'm a bad comedian. I should quit. Right. Mm -hmm. Same thing with presenting and storytelling. Know, know your audience and, and pivot when you need to. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how does, how do you go? Well, first let me go back to this. How do you even, I mean, pivoting obviously is, is the key there, but how do you recover that bruised ego from when, when the crowd goes mild? How, how do you do it? I've, I've had it happen to me and it's just kind of like, Oh, you know what? That was a bad dad joke. Just like my kids hate it. No big deal. I move on do you have a, a secret to, to recovery? Don't think about it in the moment and realize that most of the time it's just, think about it as feedback, mm. right? So if it bombs, do it a different way and try it again. Most people don't realize that stand-up comedians or professional performers, they, especially comedians, they spend hundreds of hours delivering the same material and then tweaking it and tweaking it and tweaking it and tweaking it because the first time they get up there, they don't kill the room. 
one or two things does okay, and the rest of it they have to discard, rewrite, try again, that's completely different. So I try to remember that, and I don't go, this means that I'm bad at my job and career. Not anything like that at all. You really have to, I, I would say what you should do in that moment is nothing. And then later on when you're disassembling your talk or your, your presentation, then you can go over it and go, okay, feedback here was this. Don't try to readjust in the moment. You'll drive yourself crazy. Mm, gotcha. Don't want to do that. Um, how, so you're a guy that I look at as someone who's made it. You said earlier, you know, you, you don't want to sound like a, like a douche. And I don't think you do when you name your show after yourself, but you've been doing it for 11 years, thousands of interviews, huge interviews. You speak around the country. Um, how do you go from, from writing to public speaking to podcasting, all different kinds of mediums or media as a storyteller? Are you able to shift in between all those because you've been doing it for so long or did yeah. you have to work for it? Yeah, yeah. I definitely, I took a speaking class that was 20 days long from this guy, Michael Port, a good friend of mine now. It was awesome. Worth every penny. It wasn't 20 days consecutively. That would be horrible, but it was 20 <laughs> days long. And then I also have taken voice coaching lessons forever, broadcasting lessons for years. These are the things I work on every single, I, I really do work on every single angle of each of these particular kind each of these particular kinds of angles like or not angles what am i looking for performances i don't know it sounds overblown each of these types of media you know i will work on each skill set so that's how i'm able to switch between it you know i wouldn't sit down and write a book right now i would try to either hire that out or learn how to write uh over time so yeah. what looks to be really easy like wow you're just naturally outgoing you go up on stage and speak oh you can do a radio interview oh you can do a video there's a lot of practice and work that goes into the background of each one of those things. Taking it very seriously and making it a, 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 a performance, a platform, a career, a, a choice. Sounds like it's an, that's an important way to do it, huh? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That's great advice, Jordan. Um, so a couple, like one tactical question, uh, a big dream question. I don't want to take up too much of your time because I really appreciate the time you've given our listeners. Um, how would you suggest as storytellers, that we get our stories out there today, whether it's, you know, again, we're in the podcast season right now, maybe you're, somebody wants to start a podcast, maybe they're a young writer, maybe they're a public speaker to build that platform and to build that media footprint, as you called it earlier, Jordan, how are we supposed to get our stories out there today in this noisy world? Oh, good question. That's really tough. I, I mean, I'd love to give some sort of cool answer to this, but the truth is I think you have to hone the craft until it's really good that it's sticky. I don't think there's ways to just be louder than everyone else. I think the quality has to stand up, but then of course you also have to market too. So that's the problem, right? You also have to market and make sure that you're getting your message out there, but you have to have something good to market first. So a lot of people will spend too much time marketing and trying to sell it. And the problem is you're just pouring water into a bucket that has holes in the bottom. Hmm. And it's leaking, right? Because people aren't sticking to your show. I know a lot of podcasts that have great marketing. I don't really do marketing. I'm changing that this year. But they have a third of the audience that I have. Why? Because people subscribe, they listen for three days or a month or three, and then they unsubscribe. But if you have a great show, great content, then a, a much higher percentage of people that find you will stay. Hmm. And so you have to have that before you do any of the marketing. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time. So again, it goes back to honing the craft, putting the time in, taking it seriously. It's not just a magic bullet. 
Exactly. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, so, so again, I go back to, I look at you as a guy who's made it. You've got your show. You've been doing this for a long time. You speak around the country, around, around the world. Do you ever look around your, your what might be a charmed life and think, gosh, I've, I've kind of made it? Not that you're like done and retired, but like, have you, have you kind of made it to that echelon that you were always hoping for? Uh, no, I'm always working on the next thing. I never really sit down or rest of my laurels or feel satisfied, which is not necessarily a good thing. It sounds like a good thing because like, wow, you keep going. No, it's really, it's a little bit like I have to remind myself to be happy about the, what I've achieved so far. Otherwise, I would just be miserable, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not depressed or anything like that, but it's a lot of people will be like, wow, you know, I have to remind myself pretty regularly like, that I'm living a dream for a lot of people, even when I'm like, I have so much work today because I have to do three shows with famous people. Wah. right? <laughs> but it still ends up in the moment kind of being a job. So I have to remind myself that I'm very fortunate to have what I have and to be where I am. Choose that attitude of gratitude, right? Exactly. <clears throat> All right. So totally stoked about the time you spent with me, Jordan. I got one last question for you and then I'll, I'll let you get on your way. Um, I want to know that if you only had it in you uh, or only had the ability or only had the chance to tell one last story, what would that story look like, sound like, be like, what, what might that last story be for Jordan Harbinger? I don't know. I mean, I really do look at all of the shows that I release on the Jordan Harbinger show as this legacy that's going to be around after I'm gone, probably deluding myself. Nobody will care about podcasts in like 60 years, but I do think about this a lot. You know, I think about how I'm leaving a mark on the world. So I don't have one thing left. And I think that's why I podcast in the, in the first place is because I'm able to sort of get all of this stuff out of my system and out of other people. And that's sort of the collaborative effort that I'm really focused on. Cool. That's good to know. Uh, so where's the easiest way to find you? Obviously, I mean, Google, but <laughs> what's, what's, what's the central spot for Jordan Harbinger? Yeah. The Jordan Harbinger show is where I'm at it since you're listening to a podcast, or if you want to learn how to create great relationships, network like a pro advancedhumandynamics.com. Our level one course has a lot of stuff about that, that will change the way that you do business and deal with your friends and family and, and really increase a lot of opportunities. It's free. It's a, it's, it's about creating and maintaining relationships. It's just a bunch of videos, advancedhumandynamics.com. But really I'm happy if people just listen to the Jordan Harbinger show and enjoy it. Uh, they do. I turned out some friends onto it, man. Um, love the interviews you have, your style, you and Jason go back and forth a little bit, just a great show. So don't mean to fanboy on you, but thanks for all the work you put into it, man. Thank you so much. Thank you to our guest, Jordan Harbinger. Be sure to visit him online, his presentations, his show, his content all over the place. You can find it linked in our show notes. Uh, thank you so much, Jordan. Gosh, that was so much fun. I, I tell you, after two seasons of the Storytellers Network, um, 27 or whatever it's been, uh, interviews, uh, conversations, I am absolutely blessed to be doing this. Appreciate you listening. Uh, season three is coming up and it's video storytellers. So look for that coming up next week. I uh, can't wait to, to launch the, the new season. So thank you for listening. And uh, hey, I tell you what, if you enjoyed the episode, please consider sharing it somewhere, uh, social media, send an email, send a text, whatever you want to do. Anywhere that you can share it with other storytellers is always helpful uh, and very much appreciated. And 
consider leaving us a review like an Apple podcast. Uh, in fact, here's one from Douglas Burdett that I just had to share the host of the marketing book podcast. Uh, also a former guest. So one of my guests. So he says, I guess it takes me a while to catch on to things, but when it comes to storytelling, a somewhat misunderstood buzzword these days, I'm finally getting it. And now that I get it, I'm drawn to the storytellers network. Subscribe, listen, and learn the power of stories in life, relationships, and business. Thanks, Douglas. Man, that means the world to me. I appreciate it very much. I'm fortunate to have such great listeners and friends uh, in my life. So there you go. Thanks for listening. Appreciate you uh, sticking all the way through to the end. Until next time, here's to telling our stories and having those stories to tell. Cheers. Cheers.